Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Minnesota Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. Peggy Flanagan is a mom and a world member of the White Earth Band of Ojibwe and Wolf Clan. She is the 50th Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota and the first Native American ever elected to serve in this role, and currently is the highest ranking Native woman elected to executive office in the country. She is a former state representative, school board member, and a nonprofit executive, and through all these roles maintained a strong advocate for those who have been historically underserved and underrepresented in including children, indigenous people, communities of color, and working families. In partnership with Governor Waltz, she established the Office of Missing and Murdered Indigenous People, which is the first in the nation. They also successfully passed into state law a mandate for all good agencies to honor a government-to-government relationship with the 11 sovereign tribal nations within the borders of Minnesota, including the requirement for consultation when making decisions which have an impact on the tribal nations. Now, before we jump into this conversation, uh, as I have in the last three episodes, I just wanted to say that uh, this, these interviews are not endorsements of these candidates, and uh, the, the real focus of these, of course, is to talk about their amazing careers and their lives and their service to their communities. And so certainly, uh, these are not endorsements uh, for these candidates. That being said, uh, this is this is a really fun conversation, and I was really happy to be able to sit down with Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. So, that being said, let's jump into this conversation with Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's really great to have you here. Well, thanks so much for for having me. I'm excited for this conversation and to be a part of this podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. Uh, So, if you could introduce yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your background, please. Sure. So, uh, Buju, uh, my name is Peggy Flanagan. I am a member of the White Earth Band of Ojibwe, and uh, I am the Lieutenant Governor of, of Minnesota. Uh, I grew up in a community called St. Louis Park, which is a first-ring suburb of Minneapolis. My mom moved us here when I was just a baby uh, using a Section 8 housing voucher. Uh, we relied on public programs like SNAP, which back in the day we called food stamps, uh, the child care assistance program allowed my mom to go back to school and get a better paying job. And uh, I am sitting here uh, alive today because of Medicaid as a kid who had really severe asthma growing up. And so, you know, when we talk a lot uh, in uh, in government about, quote unquote, those people, um, I am those people. And I am here as lieutenant governor uh, because of those programs and not in, in spite of those programs. So that's how I grew up as a suburban native uh, and, uh, you know, worked in the community as, uh, as, as someone, as a youth worker at the Division of Indian Work was my first job, kind of right out of college, was working in community. Um, that really impacted me and, and changed my life, uh, frankly, because um, I saw that uh, there were so many opportunities for us to get engaged and involved. And there were a lot of 
um, what I like to call teachable moments uh, with uh, with non-native people uh, about our our experiences. And I think um, you know throughout my life and career, uh, there have been a, you know many more teachable moments that uh, that we've had as you know that we have as as Indian people. And um, you know I am uh, I am happy uh to do uh to do that work um but it really all started just serving in my my community directly and um just having a lot of folks who are willing to take a chance on me and now i just try to pay that back and and pay that forward as as your career and we'll, we'll get more into um the development of your career but as you've moved uh, through the years um how has your engagement been um and how has that sort of evolved with uh indigenous people in the area uh, dakota Anishinaabe, a lot of the folks that that live in minnesota sure so uh you know we were in minnesota before minnesota was minnesota um and you know it's uh Minnesota Makoche, uh, and like to remind folks uh, of that. Um, and, you know, for me, it really was, um, you know, growing up, there were not a whole lot of other Native people in St. Louis Park. There were a handful of other Native kids uh, in, in, my, in my class and, and in my school. You know, when I grew up, uh, I think a lot of, uh, in a way that a lot of uh, folks my age uh, did, which was, not seeing themselves reflected in their teachers or curriculum or, you know, artwork in the classroom and always getting nervous when October rolled around and we'd have to talk about Columbus uh, and, you know, our little in 1492. And I was always that kid who kind of, you know, tried to push back a little as much as I could or, you know, as we got ready for the Thanksgiving holiday, um, just knew that uh, there would always be these sort of false stories that were were told as 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 factual. Um, but it really was wasn't until I got to college at the University of Minnesota the first time that I walked in and saw a teacher who looked like me. Um, I was a sophomore, and Dr. Brenda Childs, who's a member of Red Lake uh, Nation was in the front of the classroom and I almost fell over because it was the first time ever that here's a native teacher at the front of the classroom. I'm surrounded by other native students and I became a sponge. Um, I took graduate level coursework with Dr. Child for fun. Um, and you know, it just really changed everything. And I think that for so many, for so many native students or native people that I talked to, it really was this this switch that was flipped that for so long we talked about, um, you know, in dominant culture in our classrooms, that you get your education to better yourself. And that didn't always make sense to me. But once I was, uh, you know, studying American Indian studies, uh, in child psychology, had all these teachers who looked like me, suddenly it was you get your education for your people, right? So that you can be of service, so that you can, um, you know, make sure that you are, are giving back. And um, that sort of changed everything 
for me, which then led me to, you know, doing this work in the, the urban native community. And so much of what I did and have done has mostly been in urban communities, uh, in the, the urban community, which I think so often, um, you know, the majority of us are urban natives uh, and, you know, where we live uh, and, and don't get the same sort of, um, uh, you know, attention. Uh, and, and so that's been important to me through my work in the, you know, nonprofit community, but even, you know, uh, you know, I, when I worked at the Division of Indian Work, it really was this moment where um, I worked to bridge the gap between home and school for Native kids and their families, which was kind of funny because like my first job, they're like, you're going to work in a program called Parents Plus. And I was like, I'm 22. And I don't have kids. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not sure how that's going to work, but I'm going to give it a shot, you know, and, um, but knew how to start to look at systems, right? And so part of my job was to bridge the gap between home and school for these families. And what I saw was, you know, when I would go to a school, I could stand there for 15 minutes before anybody would say anything to me, like in the office. And I thought about a lot of the families that we worked with who, you know, there were um, parents who had uh, not so great experiences with public education. There were um, grandparents who were raising their grandchildren who were deeply traumatized by their boarding school experience. And so um, just thought like, we have to figure this out. We need to have um, more of our perspective as part of what this district is doing. And, um, and that was really what got me started and just, you know, we're going to find somebody back in the day, you know, to, to run for the school board here in Minneapolis. And, um, turns out, uh, that was, uh, it was me after spending six months, um, trying to, to find somebody. Um, and it was weird, right? Cause like native people weren't jumping at the chance to be involved with government. Which, right? It's been so, so kind of us, right. Uh, previously, but you know, it was, um, an opportunity, you know, I remember that we were at the, the Indian center in Minneapolis and, um, it was a gathering to talk about public education and, uh, Clyde Bellacourt, um, who we just, you know, we recently lost, uh, gave one of his, you know, just powerful mic drop speeches, like, you know, with the fist in the air, with like, with the blood of Geronimo running through our veins. And, and they're like, does anybody else have anything to say? And I was like, I do. Right. And just said, you know, we need to, to have a voice on the school board and, you know, talk to me if you, if you want to run and, you know, I'll help you out. And after that, uh, some of, uh, you know, my aunties in the community were like, my girl, when it's election time, you're always around here, <laughs> you know, getting people excited to, you know, to, to register to vote and making sure that people are voting. Why don't you do it? And I was like, that's not what I meant. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, no, um, I can't do that. And, and so, but it ended up being, um, you know, I was driving home that night and just was thinking about it. And I called a mentor of mine and said, you know, I don't think we'll win, but at the very least, right, maybe we can get our issues out there. I can, you know, I could try it. 
And um, turns out that the things that we cared about, about making sure that our kids were reflected in their curriculum, that their needs were being met, um, that we were telling the truth in public schools um, and engaged in community, those were all things that people across the city of Minneapolis wanted to talk about, um, and we won. And I share that sort of long story long and answer to your question, but I think in so many ways, that is how, um, that's just how I've seen Native people and Native women in particular do this work. That we're looking, we're helping, we're, you know, like we come together to, to meet a need. And then when it's your time and you get asked, you, you step up and you step in. And I think the key is also to learn when to step back, when somebody else then can can step forward um, into, you know, into those, those roles. But, um, you know, I've sort of always been engaged in this work in some way, shape or form. And right now, it just happens to be that I'm, I'm the Lieutenant Governor, um, trying to do, do right by my, my people and community. Well, yeah. Um, so, to your point about the, the college uh, professor and of course the antiest, when the antiest say something, uh, we, we have to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about your biggest influences along the way? Sure. So um, I would say, you know, one of the, the reasons that I am um, involved in politics in the first place, I never thought like it could be your job. Like I, like, I'm like, that's who does that, right? Like who does that for their actual job? But I knew, I always knew it was important, um, you know, to, to vote and to be, be engaged and involved with politics and in sort of that way, making, you know, making sure your voice is heard and that, that kind of thing. Um, And I knew that because my mom always took me with her when it was time to vote. And she would hoist me up on her hip, right? And we would like fill out those bubbles together and talk about how important it was. And so part of our family, right? Part of our identity is that we're, we're voters. And so I would say, you know, my mom is a huge influence, but my grandma um, was also a big influence in my life in that um, she was involved in electoral politics before it was polite for a lady to be involved in electoral politics. Um, and so I've seen examples, right, of strong women who uh, have just stepped up to say, you know, we have to be at the table, this work has to get done. And I think that that shaped, um, that certainly shaped me. But there's other folks like, you know, I think about LaDonna Harris, who, you know, many people, you know, call her Mama LaDonna. And, you know, one of the things that the the pieces of advice that has been really helpful for me, I still struggle with it, but it's been really important, is that, you know, she has said uh, to me, you know, I, I'm a Comanche woman all the time, no matter who I am or where I go. I don't stop being Comanche, right, when I walk into a meeting with senators. And so it was, you know, important that we can bring our identity into, into these spaces and be unapologetic about it. Um, or folks like uh, Karen Diver, who's a former chairwoman of Fond du Lac, who, um, 
is always there for a great, like, don't let the get, don't let the bastards get you down kind of conversations and, you know, and helping to, to support me and lift me, lift me up um, and hold me accountable to do the things that, you know, that I, I say I'm going to do. Reverend Marlene Halgamo, who's part of this, you know, who's the pastor at All Nations Indian Church, has always been there for me. Um, and, you know, she, um, she's just the person that you call when you need a little help or guidance, um, who has encouraged me at every step of the way. She married my husband and, and me and, um, uh, and is just always there modeling how there is this, this network of all these incredible aunties across the country who want more Native women to get engaged and involved in electoral politics. They set up these opportunities, they celebrate each other. And, you know, she's always like, I hope you are paying attention because this is your going to be your job, <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, that's been a, a big part of it too. And I would just say this, that we have this um, this notion, I think, that dominant culture is like, oh, look at all these Native women who are now in leadership. We know, right, that, that Native women have been leaders since time immemorial. It's just the rest of society that is, is catching up. So it is bringing, you know, I think for the people who have been the biggest influences on me have been these Native women and these women who are unapologetic of bringing their identities into these spaces because they know they're not just sitting there alone. They are surrounded, right, by the love and hopes and dreams of all the women who have come before them, who are here now, and who will come after them as well. And uh, that's pretty powerful. And I'm honored and humbled to be a very small part of, of that work. That's, that's so well said and very reflective of, of where we come from. Um, you know, I, I grew up on the Sisseton Wahpeton uh, reservation uh, in South Dakota and absolutely uh, the aunties and the grandmothers, uh, they, they ran the families, you know, they took care of the families. And so uh, everything you're saying speaks to uh, that home experience uh, and the community experience. Um, how, and you've, you've touched on this a little bit, but um, how have you developed your career uh, in college, post-college? Sure. So um, I think right now when I run into some of my high school teachers in the community, they're like, oh, you're lieutenant governor, right? Like just to be like really, really candid. Um, you know, I was uh, I was absolutely the you know the the kid who was involved in uh, show choir and theater and swimming and speech class and the places and spaces where I could be myself and felt supported, right by. Um, by those educators. And that continued, right? When we talk about folks like, um, like Brenda Child or um, uh, Dennis Jones, who is the Ojibwe um, culture and language teacher at the University of Minnesota, like I found my 
I found my people. I found my groove. I think um, it is so much about building a community and, you know, engaging with the community. The University of Minnesota is incredibly large, but um, uh, there was just a real solid community of folks there, which, um, you know, helped me feel like I was safe to learn and grow and ask questions. And um, that is something that I want for my daughter. I have a nine-year-old, um, little Anishinaabe Quay, who is demonstrating her leadership skills every single day. Um, and, you know, I, and I just some positive framing. Um, and she, I, that's what I want for her, right? Like, I don't want her to have to wait until she's a sophomore in college. I want her to have that, you know, that experience right now um, so that she is standing solidly on a foundation of who she is and where she comes from and, you know, her identity and does not shrink when, you know, when these stories or these untruths or these half-truths are told in her classroom. So, you know, I, I was able to, you know, to really find that um, footing in, in college, but it wasn't until I was literally like walking past the, you know, the Wellstone for Senate office in 2002, the late Senator Paul Wellstone, that I was like, you know what, I really like that Paul Wellstone guy. I'm just going to stop and see what's going on. And like that decision changed everything and my trajectory of my life, because I was like, you know, seven people were like, oh, hey, come in, you know, like, what are you here for? Um, and I was like, I don't know, like, how can, what are you doing? How can I help? And I ended up stuffing envelopes, which is not really a thing that happens anymore in campaigns, but, um, you know, with complete strangers for like two hours. And I ended up going back like every day. And so I started doing tasks like stuffing envelopes or cleaning the kitchen, you know, or answering phones. And then towards the end of the campaign actually ended up uh, leading our urban Indian outreach work for the um, for the campaign and just saw like I was like, there aren't enough of our people who are engaged or involved in this work. Like I have to be part of this. And at no time did I think like that meant run for political office, at least in that moment. But like, we have to be here. We have to shape these agendas. And so it was through that experience, both in, um, you know, Dr. Brenda Child to help hook me up with my first job at the Division of Indian Work that I talked about because she was on the, the board there. But then also the people that I met on the campaign who are like, you should go into organizing. And I was like, organizing, what's that? Right. And really just realizing that like organizing is inherently like what we do as native people every day. Like we're, you know, we, we like to visit visiting is at the heart of like all of this, you know, all of this work, building relationships, listening to people, finding out what they care about. And then when there's a need in the community, you step up and you meet it and you take care of each other. So it was through that experience that I just really saw here's an opportunity, you know, too, to get involved in direct service and working in community through nonprofits, but also doing this organizing work, um, which is deeply connected to policymaking and the people who are making decisions that impact our lives every day. They should know something about us. And then ultimately, like, we should be those people. What would you say to the 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? I would say um, 
that we need you and that I, I hope you don't do what I did for too long, which was to make myself small and that you can be your full, beautiful, indigenous self everywhere you go and you can take up space. And one of the things that I see happen all the time um, is, you know, when I'm at a table with Native women and I do this myself, is that you spread out. I don't know if you, you know, you watch like aunties who do this, they have their purse and they're like coffee and they just are taking up space at the table. Um, do that because you belong at those, those tables and you belong um, in these conversations that are happening uh, about, about you and about your future. And I would say, you know, I would, I would also say this is to, to think about what your vocation is. What do you lose track of time doing? What are you called to do? Um, I know for me, like working through, um, you know, working in the community and then working on the, the Wellstrong for Senate campaign, it became clear to me pretty early on that my job is to make sure that people are seen, heard, valued, protected, and believed. And that is my vocation. And so regardless of if I, you know, like what role I'm in, if I'm, you know, a youth worker at a nonprofit, if I'm a state representative, if I'm lieutenant governor or uh, executive director of Children's Defense Fund, my vocation is the same. Um, and, you know, it's just my occupation may be a little bit different. So it is to figure out, you know, what is that, that gift that you have been given, in my opinion, right, like by the creator, and how do you use that gift to be able to serve your people? Um, and, you know, I've been taught by, you know, by, by my mentors and by my teachers that in many ways, you know, the way that we serve or in leadership is that, you know, it's, we're all in a circle and that there's nobody's, no one's role is more important than anybody else's. And so you're simply doing what it is you've been called to do and called to serve. And when you are asked, you step into the middle. When it is no longer your time to, to serve, you step back out and let somebody else step in. So, you know, my advice to 18 to 22 year olds, right, to our young people, to our young leaders is to get ready. Like you are already an expert in your own life and your experience. And that is valid and valued. And we need you to be here so that we no longer have to say the first, this, the second, that it just simply is. And Joe, if I could just say like one more thing that in this moment, you know, my, my daughter, Siobhan just thinks it's normal that like her mom's a Lieutenant governor her auntie Jamie, you know, who is from Leech Lake, is the chair of the Judiciary Committee, right, in the House of Representatives, that, you know, mommy has Zoom calls with Auntie Deb, who's the Secretary of the Interior, right? And like, you know, Auntie Sharice, like, sent her a book with her name in it. Like, that's just 
you know, or we see Auntie Ruth in the summers when we're, you know, Ruth, Ruth and Buffalo, when we're like, you know, um, out doing stuff in community, it's just what's normal for her. And I couldn't have even dreamed that that would be a possibility. So I don't want this moment that we find ourselves in to simply be a blip in time. It just has to be the way it is from here on out. In 2018, we saw just this surge of Native people running for for office and Native women in particular getting elected. And now we have Deb Holland as our Secretary of Interior. I want more. And like, that's okay. And we should be asking for it and preparing for it and getting ready for it. I think of organizations like, you know, Advanced Native Political Leadership, which is working to train Native candidates all across Indian country to step up, to get ready, to run for office. Um, and I'm not just saying that you have to be in office in order to, you know, to, to be a leader, but that is a pathway that is open to us in a way that it just hasn't been before. So we have so much opportunity. So for our 18 to 22 year olds, you are right on time and we are ready for you. And I cannot wait to see how you step up and step into um, your, your roles. And hopefully there's enough of us who have cleared a path so that you have an easier time and can accomplish much more than what we ever thought possible um, because uh, we're, we're ready for you. That that's so well said, and it leads right to this um, last uh, thought I have or question for you: is is how important is it for Indigenous people to be involved in the the, the voting process or public service process? You've you've touched on it, but I just wanted to, to pose that to you. Sure, um, is incredibly important. And listen, I am you know, the, the daughter of, uh, of two people who, uh, couldn't be more different. Like I think about, you know, my mom who always voted in mainstream elections was, you know, part of electoral politics. And then, you know, my dad, um, Marvin Moneypenny, who said, um, we lost my dad, uh, two years ago, but he, he'd always say, you know, he's like my girl, I want to burn down the system and you want to change it from the inside out. We need both. And, and so I think about that. Um, and it is simply part of the fact that like, I don't want people making decisions about me or about our communities or about our people without us having a voice at the table. And so for a long time, you know, this, this happened, right, for generations where things were done to us and not, and not with us. And we are now in a moment where I think about, you know, like Tom Daschle's election, which is sort of a, we think about Senator Daschle and all the Native people who turned out and like that became the, like the story about like why it matters for Native people to register to vote and turn out, which was awesome. And then we started doing like more voter engagement work, which was incredibly important, more than just turning out at the polls. Like our expectations were the candidates were working on the issues that, that we cared about and would need to be responsive to our communities. And then we needed to run for office ourselves. So we are on this trajectory where we can see it now within 
you know, the Biden administration who has done a tremendous amount of work, right, in Indian country and I'm putting Secretary Holland in this role, like you can see the direct impact. Absolutely. I think it is because, you know, um, uh, President Biden's perspective is that, you know, that, that Native issues are important and deeply meaningful and that we um, need to do right by communities who have been underrepresented and frankly, like, pushed to the side for far too long. But I also think it's smart politics. People see us showing up more and more, and it should simply be our expectation that our candidates and elected officials know what a government-to-government relationship is supposed to look like, understand treaty rights or the supreme law of the land, know what tribal sovereignty is, and understand, too, that we have, we exist as contemporary people, uh, and that these are things that we see are changing, and um, that is a completely reasonable expectation for us to have, but that also we are going to run for these offices, we are going to win, and we are going to be in these positions. You know, I vote in tribal elections, uh, and I vote in local elections and state elections and federal elections, and I take it very seriously. You know, my identity is as a dual citizen, and so when we think about, um, you know, the the need to be engaged, um, voting is something that we have done for a very long time, right? As we would make decisions traditionally by consensus, right? Or we would work together. This is just an extension um, of that. And I am, I'm just simply done with things being done to us and it's time that they were done with us. And one of the ways that we can test for power over the, the things that, that we care about that impact our lives every day, I would argue Native people are impacted more than anyone else by all forms of government, um, then we need to have a say in that. And, and that's why my voting is incredibly powerful. And it's also, if it wasn't, there wouldn't be so many people who are trying to throw up obstacles to prevent Native people uh, black people, people of color from voting. Like they're telling you already, like it's super important and are trying to make it harder for us. Well, that's why we got to, you know, push even harder and make sure that our people are registered, turning out to vote, um, but also running and serving in office. Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This was so great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I just appreciate the the conversation and um, can't wait to come back. It'll be great to have you back. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Lieutenant Governor Flanagan again for her time and sharing her story with us. The the last four weeks with these four interviews um, has been really great experience being able to sit down and connect with these individuals and sort of get a real good glimpse into their their lives before elected office and it makes me think often that people uh, certain parts of our society especially in this day and age uh, view elected officials and politicians as individuals who are sort of self-serving and they are they're in it just to be in this job and I I can 
definitely speak from my experience that these four individuals have dedicated their lives to public service. You know, they've, they've sacrificed a lot of their free time and a lot of uh, their anonymity uh, to put themselves out there to really make changes within their communities. And these are four candidates with four distinct backgrounds. The candidates, excuse me. These are four um, four public servants that elected officials that have four distinct backgrounds and who sit on um, not just on different sides of the aisle but I think on different sides of issues and I just have to say that the personal courage and self-sacrifice that they make uh, to be able to uh, pursue this work is is something that uh, I greatly admire and you know um, in four cases these are four very personable and very nice and kind individuals who are courageous in their decision making and their ability to speak on some really tough issues and this is absolutely the case for uh, lieutenant governor flanagan as well so this conversation was a joy uh learning her background and um understanding uh, the motivations of why she does the work that she does uh, i'm deeply appreciated for the time that she took for uh for me to be able to to sit down with us and be able to share her story so uh yeah i just have uh, nothing but gratitude uh for lieutenant governor flanagan for sharing uh, her story with us so yeah i also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what i feel is a very important story and perspective from our community so please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook. Um, we are Five Plane Questions on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, you know you can find um, us on our website, planesart.org. There you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. Also, if you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please find me on, on social media and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. All right, that's it. You take care, and we will see you next week. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.